drum roll. Hello, my name is Stacey Gaylor. I am the vice chair of College Republicans here at Georgia College, and I am very excited to welcome y'all to today's episode of Republican Table Talk. I'm joined here by one of our uh, members here at College Republicans. Um, and today, what are we going to be talking about? Today, we're having a very interesting conversation about the LGBT in the GOP. Mm. We put the G in the GOP. We, we put gays, the G huh? in the GOP. That's iconic. That's iconic. Um, so thank you so much for all for joining us. We're very excited for today's conversation. And I think a great place to start is to tell us a little bit um, about ourselves and tell us about you know, our journey, not only as um, gay men, but also as conservatives. So what was, so are you, you're from Georgia, right? Yeah. What, born what, at same, I was born and raised in Augusta. <laughs> so being gay there, what was that like growing up for you? Well, for me, you know, I come from a small town of 5,000 people. We get a maximum daylight population of uh, 12,000. So, you know, we're not, we're not up there, but we're up there. And, uh, but with a small population like that, everyone knows everyone. You kind of from come, you come from the same community, and every the word gets around right. everything, and you go to the same uh, places of worship, and with that, everyone kind of has the same thought. And so, you know, growing up, how I did, I was always of this mindset. Growing up, I was a conser- I was a conservative. You know, had that indoctrination by my parents, and then as I grew up, and I kind of started to realize myself and who I was, mm. I started to drift to the more liberal side and affiliate myself with democrats and because as a gay man in such a small town you know you kind of have to wait well hold on, hold on you're gay oh you didn't know oh my gosh Groundbreaking. such a shock <laughs> um so being a gay person in such a small community you kind of have to find your own allies mm. and you know being, your chosen family exactly yeah. and you know you kind of have to you have to make that family and so i i tried to look for allies wherever i could find it and that was in an organization that I didn't know anything about, but saw all the propaganda and thought they were welcoming. And what was that? What organization was that? It was the Democratic Party. Mm, mm. Wolves in sheep's clothing. Oh. I feel but I think that's a story for a lot of gay men, especially growing up. You know, you those are the people that are out there screaming that they're your allies. Uh, but we'll 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 get into that. So how long so you identified as a liberal for a good amount of your adolescence right yeah for a good bit i think i got involved or got interested in politics at around maybe nine or so Mm -hmm. and from there i got really involved at around 11 and i affiliated myself as a liberal as a democrat and that was also when i kind of like identified myself as who i was or had my sexual awakening as a a person and so would you say that for you your identity as a liberal and your identity as a gay person were tied together then were those one and the same at that point i think they truly were because Mm. you know when i didn't have the support that i thought i wasn't out yet and so when i didn't have that support publicly i wanted to have it somewhere even if it was closeted and you know having those special allies like the democratic party with an agenda like that kind of it felt close to what I could call friends that would back me no matter who I was. Mm. And, you know, that's just where I found myself at the time. Right. Um, and so at what point were you like, okay, what I can't deal with this liberal BS anymore. I'm going to open my eyes. I'm going to take my head out of the sand. <laughs> and when did you come to real people world, um, AKA the Republican party? <laughs> so that was around, when I turned seven, 16 or 17, I'd mm, say. Okay. Because then that was when I finally had come out to myself. That was when I had finally said the first words of I'm gay. And that's one of the hardest part about coming out is is admitting it to yourself. But then that's just getting your foot in the door. I'd say oh, the yeah. true hardest part is is figuring out like what that means in your life plan and what you thought your future was going to be like and adjusting that like that's that's a really difficult process yeah and like it was coming out to myself and becoming comfortable with myself and that was really the first step of when i became you know a gay conservative now Um, how do you why is you taking that first step and you're expressing yourself and finding strength in yourself how does that connect you to conservatism 
because for me, it was realizing that I was really only a member of the Democratic Party because I was gay. Mm. Because when you look at the Republican Party at this time, around 2011, 2012 or so, you know, it's not the best track record on LGBT rights, you know, uh, support wise. And the Democrats were becoming outspoken for it. They were pushing towards that line of equality for all when it comes to the LGBT. And that's just where I affiliated myself. But once I became comfortable, I realized my sexuality wasn't me. Mm. It wasn't my defining because at that point I was, I was me and I'm gay. It's not, I'm gay. Then I'm me. Mm. Yeah. And so it was realizing that there's more to life than just my sexuality and that I can't continue to just put my sexuality as the primary, uh, reason and justification for everything and so especially when it comes to something as powerful as your vote and the ideology that you subscribe to and and push in your day-to-day life and and basically to sum that up it was just me becoming my own individual and that's the cornerstone of the republican party it's individualism Mm, it's becoming who you are and your own person and respecting every other every other person for their own individual self and that's what drew me to it and there's nothing as liberating in this world, in my experience, as something like that, as realizing that I'm in control of my destiny and I'm not responsible for the fallings and shortcomings of everyone else. I don't have to bear that personal responsibility. Of course, there's cases where that may be true when it comes to social welfare and whatnot, but in our day to day, I I can only live my life to the best of my ability. And that's all that should be expected of me. And that's all that I'm going to put on myself. Like that is so empowering. It was the most liberating experience for me. And, you know, I did have these uh, views on the economy and that you could, you could call them moderate. They weren't left. They weren't, they were anything but left. They were moderate for most life, most, in most cases. And so it was only because I was gay, because of that one cornerstone of who I was that I identified as a Democrat. And once I freed myself and liberated myself from that, I realized there's so much more to it all as who I am as a person than just being gay. And coming into that, I found a comfortable spot in the Republican Party for all of my views. Mm. And so, you know, enough about me. How about you? What's your story? Um... So I, like I said, born and raised in Augusta, Georgia. I went to a small private Christian school um, from about seventh grade. Um, And I always kind of knew I was gay. I always kind of, I remember chasing boys around on the playground. Like I was never really interested in girls until, um, you know, you get into elementary school and you kind of have that pressure put on you, whatever. So I did admittedly date a lot of girls in elementary middle school. Was it just passing that little note around of check yes or no? Oh, 100%. Oh, 100%. I was a player back then, though, (laughs) I'll be honest. But it, it it wasn't real. My heart wasn't in it. You know, what can I say? Um, but they're all lovely women. We love them. Um, anyway, so I get into eighth grade. That was when I was forced out of my closet by my middle school principal at the time. Um, but if anything, it drew me, my mom and my stepdad who I lived with, um, just honestly so much closer. And I was very lucky to have, um, a group of pretty, I guess we're pretty liberal Christians when it comes to Christians in our faith. Um, a church community and a family that supported and loved and celebrated me. My mom, she's so cute. Her name's Rebecca. She changes her Facebook filter, the little rainbow overlay Mm -hmm. for June on Pride Month. She'll post about me. She says, I love my gay son. (laughs) I'm like, yes, mom. Pop off. Uh, She's a bad bitch. Love you, mom. Um, But honestly, in my experience, and I've worked on a number of political campaigns, Casey Cagle, um, Senator Leffler, I worked on the presidential Trump campaign. Um, and my I've never faced more backlash for identity than from the liberals, um, it's particularly gay liberals that view me as a, a traitor to my community. My experience in the Republican Party, again, as a Republican working in the field has been nothing but extraordinary. Of course, you meet a few people that you necessarily don't click well with but no one has ever made me feel excluded or out of place due to my sexuality at all and of course like in high school you have those dumb high school people that just like say stupid stuff but they're in high school and literally none of that matters so yeah and i don't always say that you don't have the maturity of it to of it all and i think that's the defining feature of the republican party you know there's a there's a mutual respect for everyone regardless of 
you know, personal convictions or mm. life lifestyle choices. Well, and I think that's something that a lot of people that aren't in the party don't realize is that the Republican Party, when if you look at our beliefs, they are very diverse. We have a broad range of people. Like if you look at the difference between someone who's more like Trumpian and someone who's more like neoliberal, for example, um, you'll see a lot of difference when it comes to trade and, and foreign policy. But I think at the end of the day, we have that respect for our constitution. We have the respect for the system that has guided us to the position that we're in as Americans and mm -hmm. has given us everything that we hold dear in our life. And and I think it's that respect again for those for those institutions that kind of unite us. It, it's a it's a bigger picture, broader mm -hmm. type of goal that brings all ranges uh, of ideolo ideologies together for the Republican Party. And I think that's a core principle that needs to be celebrated and put out there more, that we're not some small tent uh, that people like to paint us out as. Well, and I think I think you touched on a little bit, you know, as a gay teenager tr struggling to try to find your identity. I mean, as all teenagers are. But for me, I was I was always a conservative. I remember for Halloween 2008, I dressed up as John McCain. My sister was Sarah <laughs> Palin. Um, I've always been a Republican, probably so. And, and growing up, I was, my identity was real heavy in that. Mm -hmm. um, and I think a big part of it is because um, we do have those key tenets to our faith in, I shouldn't say faith, to our allegiance to our ideals in that sense, like to the things that the Republican Party stands for um, when it comes to rule of law, when it comes to, again, individual liberty, you know, allowing people to live their authentic lives with the government getting involved as least as possible. Um, I mean, it's sad times right now because we feel like those are a bit under threat, but yeah. um, it's okay. But speaking of that, I, I guess it's interesting to talk a little bit about why do you think most gay men and most people in the LGBT community are have such an allegiance to the Democratic Party? <clears throat> you know, I, I, I think and it's... And what can we do to show them the light and get them to where we are? So I think it's what I touched on before. It's, you know finding this type of outlet of support it's trying to find that home away from home like you said selecting your own family and it, it's that and it's you know the possible indoctrination of a lot of them it, they, they're taught by their own groups by their parents or others that they're uh close to that the democratic party is the only party that's going to respect you as a person and uphold your rights and they're told that the republican party is a party of bigots well mm. i think you and I are living proof that the Republican Party isn't so uh, such a simple and not complex uh, organization that they try to paint us out to be. Right. And so on that, I think that many, many gays identify as liberal just because of the idea that there has to be an acceptance of us all around. And it has to be either through the state enforcement or it has to be through the continuous advocation through government for it. Mm. And I, I think that was that's what draws them to it. Yeah, and I, I guess I would say to any anyone that identifies as a liberal for any sort of identity that they may have, um, particularly queer folk, um, if you are someone that I, I get it, you know, you see Democratic leaders, you see pop culture icons lobbying for the Democratic Party, pushing that on you. But if you're like, hey, you know, maybe we shouldn't have open borders, you know, maybe it makes sense to, you know, know who's in our country. Or if you feel that a Medicare for all or government run healthcare isn't the smartest decision because you have three brain cells, you know, I, I think it's important to understand that there is a place for you in the Republican Party. The Republican Party is changing. We're not the party of your grandpa anymore. And I think, again, you and I might disagree on this because I'm much more of a big Trump guy than you are. Um, but I think President Trump has truly ushered in a new age um, of Republicanism, not for not only just for Hispanics, for African-Americans, but also for queer Americans. I mean, we can look at the work he's done for the gay community. It's been absolutely amazing. And, you know, I'm not a not a Trumplican, as mm. many would call it. I'm not, a, I'm not a pure Trump guy. I have my disagreements with him, but I do like some things that he's done. And that's besides the tax cuts and jobs act. We could look at his, you know, his project uh, for the international decriminalization of gay uh, right. of uh, of 
decriminalizing homosexuality. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the Watch first the words for it a little the bit. first president to launch a UN initiative to do such a thing. And absolutely amazing. We've spoke about it before. He's the first president to enter office supporting mm. gay marriage on day one. Day one, right? And not even Barack Obama did that. No. And so you know, I'm not a big Trump guy, but there are victories, no matter how small, are victories. And it's that small incremental change that makes all the difference. And for you and I, it's shown to be an attraction to the Republican Party. It, it's a pull in. And well, and I think a lot of that is in, is in part because I, and like you touched on this earlier, my, I can't go against the 95% of my interest just to satisfy the 5% of exactly. like what's in my best political mm-hmm. interest. It's like a lot of the issues that the gay community are facing are moot if we don't have a safe nation to live in, if we don't have a prospering economy to worry about social issues in. You know, it's like we need to be able to make sure we have gas in our tank before Mm -hmm. we can start worrying about some of the other things. I completely agree. And, you know, we can feel how we want to feel about our sexuality. But if we don't take the steps of confronting extremism in its various forms that would pose a threat to our sexuality as gay people, then there's no point in us even talking about it at all. Because, you know. The Republican Party is the only true party that's had that stance against extremism for uh, securing the border and those type of uh, different policy initiatives. And so, you know, worrying about our sexuality is one part of it. But like you said, you have to have gas in the car before you can start worrying about other issues. Yeah, 100%. And so getting into that, I think this brings us into our our identities as conservatives. How about Mm -hmm. that? Yeah. Well, I, like I said, I am a big Trump guy. Um, He was the person that I supported in the primaries. I remember going to um, a rally of his before he was the nominee. I have like a signed poster of it. I went to the inauguration. Um, I've been there for every milestone. I worked for the campaign, which was an absolute highlight of my life. And again, I think just to focus this uh, still around my identity as a gay man, I think um, there's, a, he did a rally in Colorado. It was either Colorado or New Mexico right before the end of the campaign in 2016. And he held up like a pride flag that said LGBTs for Trump. And he was just like waving it. And it was like such a glorious moment. Um, because I think for me, when I think about myself as a conservative and what's most important, it is aspects of my individual liberty. So things like my second amendment, right? As a gay man, if I'm worried about being hate crimes, you know what's going to be my great equalizer <laughs> is having a little nine mil in my pocket. <laughs> That's what I'm worried about. And I just turned 21 and bet your ass I'm going to get my concealed carry <laughs> permit. Yes, ma'am. I'm going to be a legal gun owner. Gays for guns. I'm all about it. <laughs> And so I think that's a great aspect. And same thing, like women for guns too. Like guns are a great way to equalize situations in which there may be and, biological um, exactly. imbalances. And, you know, we're not advocating for violence. No, but it's one hundred percent to protect exactly, yourself when, and your family. When you one hundred percent, especially with how crazy the world is right now. Exactly. Mm. When when you look at it, the Republican Party is the only party standing up for that liberty of self. Exactly. Exactly. And I've seen so many business owners, and particularly black business owners, in a lot of these urban downtown areas, protecting their businesses through the use of guns. And there's the in the nineteen ninety L A riots. It was so iconic. The Korean shop owners went on the top of their stores with their guns, and you bet their shops were not raided and looted. (laughs) Yes, ma'am. I'm all about it. Um, But then also protecting our economy, making sure that I have the more money in my pocket to do things that I want to do and to live my life the way that I want to live it, right? Mm -hmm. And also making sure that my interests are protected when it comes to foreign policy, making sure that you know, my government, if I am a small business owner, is work is looking out for my interests when it comes to international trade and it isn't selling us out like the Obama Biden administration did. And so I think, again, my allegiance will and always be to our constitution, to our country first. Mm-hmm. And then that allegiance that informs my political decision more so than my sexuality. Mm-hmm. And when I look at the best way to protect America and when I look at the best way to protect our individual rights and freedoms, I mean, there's one party there. You know, it's not even a competition. The Democratic Party is an absolute joke. They're manipulative gaslighters, at least in the leadership of it. And I I don't have, um, you know, I I don't know that man. I'm sorry to that man. (laughs) (laughs) And so, you know, for me, as my identity as a conservative or just as a Republican in Mm -hmm. general, um, we touched on who we support in the primaries. I was a I was a 
Jeb Bush. Oh, God, guy, help me. And I was a Rubio guy. Okay, that's not as bad. But Jeb, I'm please a... clap. You remember that one? <laughs> I'm a, uh, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a Republican from an old era. The H.W. Bush administration, the W administration. One of my love... first interactions with Ricky, I looked on his Instagram and he had yeah. on there, <laughs> he had on there, H.W. Bush deserved a second term. He and did. I'll he just did. be honest, that was a red flag for me. <laughs> he deserved a second term. I mean, the option was Bill Clinton. So, no comment. That. But, you know, I'm more of a, I'm, for me, the most important things for me are the, it's free trade, it's individual li- liberty, it's the protection of free markets, it's the upholding of these individualistic characteristics and in our institutions, like our constitution, our judicial branch, which is currently mm. under threat, mind you, by the Democratic Party. And an independent judiciary is key to, to an operating a, democracy. One hundred percent. And so it, it's those principles. With that, that being said, fill the seat. Fill, uh, a.B. Comey Boer. <laughs> <laughs> the notorious ACB. Uh, I think that'll be a sting for yeah. Democrats. But anyway. We're being controversial now. Ooh, spill the tea. Or we're just during the pot. Ew, 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 ew. <laughs> um, so that's where I stand. And I think above all, I'm an American. I'm a Baptist and I'm a Republican first before I start looking at my sexual identity. Mm. And it, it, like you said, it's the allegiances to the Constitution, to my faith, and to these other things that come before all. Right. Because it's not just that one part of me isn't that defining feature of myself. Exactly. That's not who I am completely. You know, exactly. I'm me and I just happen to be gay. And so when we talk about how much our identity as gay men occupies our mind, what for you, looking into your future, what struggles are we facing as gay men? What struggles does our community still have to overcome? <clears throat> and, you know, I, I like this question a lot because it allows me to touch on it. I'm very good um, at asking questions. Thank you so much. I know. <laughs> it's, a, uh, it's, a, it's an issue that's really exclusive to our community. And it's not just that of discrimination, which is present. You know, that's going to exist anywhere. And it's not the ignorance towards us, but it's this self-eating type of toxic culture within our community that's what we have to overcome first and well describe that culture what are you talking about it's cancel culture Mm. that that is what it is when you shine a light on it it is cancel culture and i think our friends on the left would say that cancel culture is a hoax or they might even be uh the perpetrators of it they might be they might be benefiting from it that's why call them out call them out (laughs) you know they are it's a silent majority that no, they're a silent mi- They're a vocal minority. There That's we go. We found, we found it. We found the. We it. found the word. Uh, the Trump voter base is the silent majority. Forever and always. Um, but they're a very vocal minority when it comes to it, and they drown out everyone else. And so, for you and me being gay conservatives, just like we could be canceled in the instant, we could be discredited, canceled, discredited, mocked. repudiated, just because we're Censored. gay conservatives. Right. You know, they completely ignore that we're part of the same community because of our Republican identity. And that's our biggest threat is this self-eat mentality because of differentiating political views. And for some reason, to them and to many others, that's not a cornerstone of democracy to them, mm. even though discourse is— And we hate to see that. We, we do because you become put in this echo chamber where you right. have one voice— one type of collective and idea. And to be fair, I think that is present on both sides. And I think that's something that we all have to be mindful about. Um, but when I think about that question, when I think about what it is our community has to worry about in the future, I think a big part of it is cultural. A big part mm-hmm. of it is social, is ensuring. And I think, you know, you and I talk about this a, a decent amount of times. We're talking about the recent polls that have come out that shown declining acceptance for our community. Mm-hmm especially among younger people. Which Which I think it's around 18 to 32 year olds. Right. And so I think a big part of it is if, when I think about how do I best represent my community, it is always and forever will rest on the individual. You know, it's the biggest thing that we can do is show people in their own individual lives that you aren't the stereotypes or if you do fit in those stereotypes that that doesn't make you any less worthy you know that that doesn't change who you are that doesn't change your dimension and your depth and value as a human being Mm -hmm. um and i think a big part of that is through reaching across the aisle a big part of that is through being able to make sure that we can have the stomach for the difficult conversations 
and someone else might be spitting out some shit that you think is absolutely toxic and dangerous to society. But being able to say, you know what, I disagree with you, but you have the right to say that. Mm -hmm. And I that's something I think the Republican Party definitely fosters. <laughs> And that's what we have to touch on is this allowance for discourse, mm. communication, and civility in it all. And we lack that right now. So it is a culture. And that, that is an issue. That's a problem for the gay community because being able to get acceptance for our identity and be allowed to just simply love who we love requires hard conversations. Mm -hmm. It requires difficult discourse. And if we're eliminating any space for that to happen in our communities, then where does that leave us? That leaves us out in the cold. Exactly. Because at that point, you have gay people who may identify as Republicans who don't even want to come out as gay at that point. And you have them as what many would, many on the left would say, as a self-hating homosexual, truly become that because they're repudiated by their own community. And they Your internalized homophobia is showing sis papa <laughs> <laughs> and it's just it's an identity crisis for so many that's being created when you have your own community repudiating you for a, for a political belief well and i think that's the hard part and, and your story touches on that is the dangers of what happens and how hard it makes an already difficult journey when you're marrying your sexual orientation to your political ideology and i think that gets into and we don't have time for this god help us but that gets us into a conversation about the dangers and toxicity of things like intersectionality. And our Young Democrats chapter, God bless them, just posted some shit about how we need to vote with intersectionality in mind. God help us if we're all <laughs> voting with intersectionality in mind. Dear Lord. So another thing I wanted to talk about is a disagreement that you and I had when we first met. This is a little policy-oriented now. Huh? It is. It is. We should talk a little bit about policy. So let's talk a little bit about what our disagreement was over so there i was i'm on instagram and i see richard grinnell who was the first openly gay cabinet member ever appointed by our fearless president donald trump um posted a video about the trump administration's efforts with the gay community and you and i had a discussion about the morality or the efficacy of a Trump campaign reaching out to queer Americans as a voting resource, as um, people to sway to get into the Republican tent. Mm -hmm. You have your issues with it. What, why, what are your issues with the Trump campaign or third-party Republican groups advocating to queer Americans, campaigning to them? So it wasn't more so the advocation. It was more so the advocation without support by the platform and so in that you know there are small steps we can make you said this is a small step and i i acknowledge that and we had our long little debate that we was ongoing in our message it did involve some petty texts back and forth <laughs> it, it was a pretty long essay conversation we may have gotten had. a little bitchy um but my my problem was that and it was it was promoted by his son uh donald trump jr my issue was that it was reaching out and using the Trump administration's uh, support or uh, reaching out to gay men from the Trump administration while still having anti-LGBTQ plus rhetoric in the platform. In the 2016 party which was Which was readopted to the 2020. Which was a formality. And my perspective is that the real applicable real life policy by this administration is mm -hmm. evidence enough of their commitment to the gay community. Mm -hmm. And, and we can't sit around and let gay Americans be tricked and bamboozled any longer <laughs> by the democratic party. We need to throw all the ammo we have, especially when we have a president that's been such a supporter. And and that's completely fair, but we also have to realize that this, that this, platform was agreed to after that ad was put up so there was time to go back and revise there was time to look over it and by any party that's going to be running a major party at that that's going to be running this type of big election has to look at its platform and analyze it thoroughly and put out updated and modernized platforms as time to go out and you can't try to appeal to a group while you still maintain anti that uh anti-rhetoric towards that group but That's as the leader of the party, who the president is, mm -hmm. President Trump's the leader of the Republican Party, that's not where his mind is at. 
that's not where his policy initiatives are at. That's not an accurate reflection of party leadership or the party mentality anymore. But it's still official language within the party. And that's what we Girl, have to look language at. in a 60 language. long page booklet that no one reads. And if it, that is, it's still important to the foundations of the party. Then the it, then there's no point in a platform if we just disregard it completely, you know. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying disregard it. Com- and we may, I think, to a lesser extent than you may believe. But at the same time, you're trying to completely ignore the amazing policy work that has been done, and that is shit to campaign on. But no, no, I'm not disregarding it because you is. Previously, yes, you are. No, because previously we touched on it, and I said. I was very glad to see these reforms, and I even said that I can agree with the idea of this small incremental change makes a difference. It appeals. My issue was the promotion of such while continuing to have anti-rhetoric, anti-LGBTQ plus rhetoric within a platform and the official language of the party that's trying to reach out to us. You know, I'm a Republican, and I love myself for being a Republican. I love all my fellow gay Republicans as well. But we can't just forget that there are parts of our party that, party that still have this anti-LGBTQ plus wording and rhetoric within platforms, and we have to address that. Mm-hmm. And so my issue isn't with Trump and his initiatives that he's done. My issue is with the refusal to change the wording within the platform, even though there has been plenty of time to do so, especially if you want to reach out to that group. And I think it is important that if we want aspects of our party to address these issues and we want them to take us seriously, it's important that we bring as many queer Americans into the Republican fold as possible. Make sure that we're not a portion of the voting block that they can't afford to ignore anymore, that they're not writing us off as just a group that's just going to vote liberal no matter what. Oh, oh, well, you know, we need to make sure that we're putting our issues first in the party. And that doesn't happen if we don't have any queer Americans in the party. And And that doesn't happen if we're sitting around on our thumbs waiting for some boring ass party language to change until we start recruiting and campaigning. in doing so, I could even advocate that by reaching out, you could even do so by changing the language. Changing the language makes so much difference. And, you know, I think we're in a catch 22 here. (laughs) Changing the language makes so much of a difference, and that is, and that should be part of the priority when moving forward in these and, initiatives. And I agree with that. To change, I agree with that. The Republican Party, because if you want to welcome people, you can't have this. You know, you can't have this large sign that says, you know, uh, Obergefell v. Hodges was a mistake, and you know, maybe the judicial rulings on that were iffy. When, uh, when you cite the Constitution. Maybe it was iffy, but you can't say let's return to traditional marriage and repudiate these type of people that could be possible voters and then say come on in while you still have that sign hanging up. But then at the same time, I think it's important not to let the old guard, not to let a dying portion, like, impact our future as a party. No, and I, I completely agree. I think that we should continue to work as we always have as gay Americans and as gay Mm -hmm. Republicans to change the party. And that's where I'm trying to do my part by advocating for a change in party language. But bemoaning and bitching when we actually reach out and we actually say, look, we're doing things. (laughs) No, but... Look, we care about you. How dare you, (laughs) says Ricky. No, I don't think I said that whenever I saw the international movement. (laughs) I was supportive of the movement Trump did for decriminalizing homosexuality. That's king shit. That is king shit. That's good progress. That's really good. You know, know, the Obama administration talked about it. They didn't do it. Um, And they still kept these alliances going and disregarded it, even though they had these talks about it. And, you know, so this is progress. This is what I like to see. But in doing so, you have to continue to be an advocate, even if that means bitching and moaning about certain things you'd like to see change. Because you don't get anywhere without being vocal either. That's the key to speech. Amen. Yeah, girl, you're you're <laughs> preaching my point. Thank you. I'm glad we see eye to eye on this now. Good, good, good. But I think my point was more so, and I'm going to continue to drive this home. Oh, God, help me. We have to, and say it with me. Change party language. And I'm not saying that that's not a priority. 
I'm saying I think we need to take a jump a bit sooner than you're willing to take the jump. No, I didn't say stop all initiatives and wait till the party language has changed. I didn't. I never said that. It sounds eerily similar. No, I said we can't continue to be a hypocrite and reach out to gay people while keeping anti-gay rhetoric. So, it's in part, you're saying we need to stop outreach. No. Bitch, there's oh my god, I can't take this. Oh my there's god. There's a difference between initiatives and outreach. The public the publicizing of initiatives is outreach. The initiatives itself are initiatives. Do you hear yourself right now? I do and do I'm, you hear I'm yourself? so smart. I was That's giving why I'm you, saying it. Oh, oh, do you hear him? He goes, <laughs> he said, I'm so smart. Mm-mm-mm. Okay, we're gonna leave it at that. <laughs> we're gonna leave it at yeah, that. Yeah. Because I think we're going in circles here. Okay. Well, I'd like to talk on another What's nice up? little policy thing. What's up? Obergefell v. Hodges, I mentioned it. What's your opinion on that ruling and the judicial interpretation of it? So, I'm conflicted. As a gay man, obviously, the fact that I can marry the man that I love is absolutely amazing. And I will, of course, cherish that and all the work that members of my community have done to make that possible. And do I think that us gays should be able to wed our one true love? Of course. Mm -hmm. Yes, I think um in an ideal world government want to be involved in marriage to begin with so do you think but we... because marriage mm-hmm. is tied to things like hospital visitation rights insurance liability like things like that it's important that there is a constitutional argument to be made under the yeah. 14th amendment and an equal due process and equal protection under the law you know we can't have protected classes we can't be allowing one section of our population marriage and the rights and privileges that come with that and then denying it to another section at the same time a unelected um, bench of nine people, all of which went to like what two or three law schools, you know, represent truly the elite of our country, making a law for all fifty states. As a conservative, that is a bit problematic. Yeah, because so there, so here you, I guess we're seeing the confliction of being a textualist or an originalist, mm. and uh, conflicting with who we are as gay people. Right. And, you know, and that's I think that's completely respectful. And so I think now we have to kind of look at it as whether are we going to treat marriage as a civil issue or are we going to treat it as a uh, religious issue? And I think that's where we have to realize government's role in this. Well, I think the stance that I've come across in in look at the end of the day, I know the liberals are probably watering at the mouth with this, that they're going to take away gay marriage. No, no one's taking away Obergefell v. Hodges. All of them rep all major conservatives are president included have identified Obergefell v. Hodges as settled law it's a settled issue we did have an issue recently where uh, it was Justice Justice Thomas and I can't remember the other justice's name but they petitioned for the overturning of Obergefell v. Hodges because they believed it trampled on religious freedom I mean but if you look at all the dissents from um that case mm-hmm. the major aspects of those dissents and i think scalia's is a great example it wasn't the issue of the same-sex marriage it was the way of it, it was it legislating was, from the bench exactly it was and, taking um legislative initiatives from the states where it was illegal and saying that's not valid yeah. we're going to tell the state and the state populations how to enact law in this yeah. area and I, and you know that was their issue with yeah. it from the dissents. And, you know, uh, Scalia, phenomenal, one of my favorite legal minds. Um, but now we're seeing this type, this talk type of revamped with ACB being nominated. Um, this petition after uh, who was it? Kim Davis, I think that's who it was. Uh, who oh, God bless. the clerk, the clergy? Yeah, she was a clerk. She was a law clerk that was mm-hmm. refusing to give out. She's from Kentucky, I believe. Yeah, um, and refused was, to give out um, same-sex marriage certificates. It was it was her um, case, and they the Supreme Court rejected it. But in that dissent for rejecting the case, Clarence uh, Thomas cited uh, that the Obergefell v. Hodges kind of trampled on religious freedom. Um, now, personally, I don't think that they're going to touch it. You know, you have uh, Gorsuch, you have Roberts, and you have the uh, other liberal justices. Um, and even then, I don't think that uh, ACB would even look at the case Mm-mm. at overturning it because she's kind of already called it law of the land. Right. Um, and so maybe looking at the case and doing a judicial interpretation on that the case is legal, but you can't force uh, government officials or uh, individuals to 
do something conflicting with their religious Well, here's beliefs, my thing. But even that, here's kind of my thing. In, deep in, territory. in the line that I've taken to kind of balance my interests as a conservative and my interests as a gay man is private businesses, non-governmental organizations should reserve the right to refuse to participate in same-sex marriage or same-sex activities or anything like that. So um, the Colorado baker, he was well within his right and the court agreed to not make that case. I do not think that um, religious-based adoption agencies should be required to um, provide adoption to same-sex couples if, if that if they genuinely feel like it doesn't it goes against their principles, then and if they aren't accepting state money, then they shouldn't be required to. Mm-hmm. I think that I would not be against people letting others know that they are actively discriminating and the social consequences may be severe, yeah. but that's a part of the free market. Because, I mean, we're getting into a point now where everything is publicized. Right. Everything becomes a story everywhere. Tragically so. And, you know, this type of issue where where you refuse service, that'll become a mainstream topic, and you'll see that business lose money. And so, you know, I can definitely agree with your point on that, of right. allowing private businesses to ha- reserve that right if it isn't, if it conflicts with their religious beliefs. Right. But then, of course, if it comes under things like housing or employment discrimination, um, of course, those are different, and, and those are areas in which we have constitutional legislation to to combat those things. But, you know, someone suing a church or suing a bakery because they don't want to make a cake for you, like, okay, come on, grow yeah, up. I can completely agree with that. And so I think we're pretty much agreed on the Obergefell v. Hodges case. Yes, I, it, we, in one hand... Of course, you know, I, we are in a position where we benefit from it. Mm-hmm. At the same time, to our friends in the party that think Obergefell v. Hodges or same-sex marriage was wrongly decided, I would say, to what extent does that decision affect you? To what extent does that negatively impact your life? To what extent does that challenge your faith or make your life harder in any way? Ask yourself those questions and then get back to me. <laughs> Thank you so much. Maybe one day we can get to a world where marriage is privatized and it's not controlled and influenced by the government. Mm, Preach. But maybe the government will be the best call one day again. Big government sucks. Oh, absolutely. And that's another thing is if you are upset that we enjoyed, that we enjoy the right to be able to marry who we want, at the end of the day, we both hate government. So let's just agree to... um, Agree on that issue, yeah, and so if, we can just kind of bond res- over that. If big government restricts me from marriage, if government at all restricts me from marriage, that's big government. Yeah, mm-hmm. big government's bad. I think we all we all agree that. So. And let's also not forget that Bill Clinton legalized and signed the DOMA, the Defense of Marriage Act, and Don't Ask, Don't Tell, which persecuted homosexuals. So now, thank you, you Bill know. Clinton. <laughs> There was, you know, Hillary Clinton did try to say Bill Clinton on that. She was like, well, this was just a compromise through legislation, so that way uh, it wasn't solidified through an amendment um, and that it could be challenged in the courts. You know, that's that's a pretty good excuse. Mm. I don't think uh, I don't think that's good enough to cover up Bill Clinton's mistake for the past. No, no. And Lord knows he has a lot of mistakes. Mm. <laughs> Too many to talk about here. I think we dodged a bullet with Clintons. They're a true American oligarchy. Now, I will have to say, my one true American family that I adore is the Bushes. Ugh. And I'll, I'll die on that hill. Oh, Laura Bush, George H.W. Bush, George W. Bush, Jeb Bush. All amazing people. Mm. Okay, no comment. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think we we discussed Obergefell v. Hodges, and we've touched on the uh, other issues of big government. What what's a policy that's important to you as a gay man and as a gay Republican? Hmm. I'll be honest. When I the biggest policy, the policies that matter the most to me are economic policy. Mm-hmm. And, of course, I just tie that to a community is doing well when it's doing well economically. You know, and I think gays, we're smart, we're talented, we're driven. I want to make sure that we have an economy to make sure we're putting those skills to the test and, and making the changes that we want to see in our culture, making being in those positions of power, you know, making sure we're getting represented in different areas, mm-hmm. making sure we're in the rooms where decisions are being made. Mm-hmm. I think that's very admirable. 
And I think gays have a lot of good things to say. We have great perspectives, so y'all need us. Boys We're on the way. Boys <laughs> the bottom of the barrel to the top of the stairwell right there. Yes, amen, <laughs> amen. Um, For me, you know, I can sympathize with the uh, markets being the main concern. Because mm-hmm. I think uh, economic freedom kind of enables so many to rise above right. the challenges. And if you have a free market, you have almost unlimited prospects for your influence, your growth, and well, what and, you can be as a person. Yeah, and there's research. Like, if you want social equality, if you want a healthy social environment, if you want human rights to be respected, the fastest and best way to get there is economic development. Yeah, and I'm, you know? but even now we can look at some of the hypocrisy of, uh, of some larger corporations like Disney that continue to film their movies in China, uh, which is currently holding one million Uyghurs in internment camps. And, oh, one hundred percent. And but you know they'll pull out of uh, of the state of Georgia after uh, uh, Brian Kemp pushes for some conservative legislation. Oh, but, the heartbeat bill. Yeah, but you know it's it's the hypocrisy of um uh, of larger corporations. But you know the consumer is always right, and consumer made it uh, is going to continue to be right in those decisions and influence it. Mm. Well, I think that is why I'm very cautious when it comes to large organizations, multinational corporations, international government organizations, things like the UN, NATO, et cetera, et cetera. Well, I think we, I think we're shifting a little bit away from policy, but that's completely off right. Cause this is a fluent conversation or at least gay that, policy. <laughs> that, that we're trying to have, you know? Um, but I'd argue that NATO is pretty, pretty good. It plays an important role. I, oh, can, can it be can it be fixed let's in some put ways? a pin in that We're, that's <laughs> off that's too off topic that's too oh, off topic brought it up um but i think like i mentioned earlier when i think about the struggles that the gay community has to face it is more cultural than it is um anything that policy could fix i think yeah. uh, there's more harm in trying to social engineer um our way to where we want through policy than um addressing these social issues just in our day-to-day lives you know again putting out the good that we want to see in the world um being good representations of ourselves and our community um changing minds on an individual basis i think that's really the only path forward is is again rallying behind ourselves and our community and deciding you know who are we who do we want to be who are we showing the world that we are and the best way to do that is to be kind be badass go out Make money moves, you know? <laughs> and I mean, and I, I think we've made a lot of substantial progress when it comes to policy, when it comes to social acceptance. Right. Um, and so now it's only, like we touched on, it's defeating this uh, self-eat mentality. Right. And I think, I, I'm sure that there's a lot of gay liberals that would have a lot more policy things that they want to put mm-hmm. forward. But what I'm fearful of is... Again, again, as a conservative, we we are wired to conserve, but we again we don't want to push too ha- too far too fast. And I think when you get into social engineering measures through policy, when you have you know like um, the House was talking about making diversity disclosures a requirement for corporation boards, mm-hmm. you know things like that, um, then you're you're going to start seeing the pendulum push back against you, you know. At, at the end of the day, we need to make sure that we're allowing people to make their own decisions. We're we're not indoctrinating people or coercing people to think or say things just for the the faux version or a display of acceptance you know we need to make sure we're sowing the seeds of acceptance not just like shoving it down the throats of people that's where i can really agree because i think one thing that pulls me to the republican party as a gay person is the uh, the embracing of civil liberties mm. uh and not civil rights and i say that because there's a difference between civil liberties and civil rights you know, civil rights is more so the expansion of government power for protection of those rights, whereas civil liberties is the restriction of government for mm-hmm. the protection of individual liberties and preventing the government from interfering. In well, and that's how our Bill of Rights was written. It wasn't written as you have the right of free speech. It's the government cannot restrict your speech. Exactly. And those are two different things. And, you know, one is an extension of government power and the other mm-hmm. is a restriction. And that's what pulls me to the Republican Party because as a gay man, the least the last thing I want is a powerful authoritarian government telling me who I can be. Exactly. And I think, you know, the start of this conversation was how can we get there as a party? And, you know, we're having a nice discourse conversation right now. And I think 
this is going to lead us to that point. Well, and this we is this is party. similar to a lot of conversations I've had with um, older Republicans, especially mm-hmm. like especially when I was working on these campaigns, and just in my own personal life. Like, um, there's a family friend I I have. Um, her name's Amanda. She's really awesome. But she, before she met me, she was so anti-gay. Mm-hmm. She thought it was gross, all this stuff. It's a sin, etc. And she got to know me over the course of years. And she had a conversation with my mother and was just like, you know, getting to know JC has really changed. And they, I'm sorry, sometimes I go by JC. They call my, or they, um, sorry, Amanda was saying that I've really ch- made her think about the LGBT community. I've changed her perception on that. Mm-hmm. And I, I think, again, I know I've said this a lot, but that's, that's our path forward is, again, changing these minds in, on an individual basis, taking the power that we have as people and in our life to represent ourselves in our community the best way we can. I, I, I'll agree with And that. I would recommend that everyone be wary and cautious over politicians or political parties that come up and say, we're going we're gonna to legislate all this shit until it's right. Uh, like, think about that. How's that actually going to work? You can only do so much legislation-wise. Until right. You what, what's the efficacy of that, and where do we, what are we losing out on? Yeah. Are we losing out on our ability of free speech? Are we limiting speech? That's always a red flag. Yeah, you get to a point where government is so big that you can't control it. Right. And then we're all fucked. Yeah. <laughs> so, more reason to vote red this election. Vote um, President Trump and vote Republican up and down the ballot. And we'll all be okay. I think we'll be, I think we'll be safe. We'll be thriving. <laughs> we're going to keep America great. Amen. We're going to keep the G and GOP. Amen. Yes. Yes. More gays in the GOP. That's my New Year's resolution from now until forever. What, what's going to be your number for recruitment? What are you, what are you looking to indoctrinate into the Republican Party? How okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> what, what's this term of indoctrination you're using? No, ma'am. We just fit facts here. No gaslighting. So, that's, so that's for our members on the left to do. Changing mind through facts. Yes. All right, that should be the way forward. Yeah, and we're doing it through this podcast. I just don't care about feelings. Ugh. <laughs> I'm not a Ben Shapiro guy. Really? I've, no. I'm not, big, uh, I'm not big on him. Neither am I on Charlie Kirk. But Oh, I, 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 I'm not going to talk about Turning Point. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, let, we'll let Lauren yes. be the representative for Turning Point. And we'll keep it in I love my friends with Turning Point. Absolutely. They're phenomenal people. Phenomenal. The best. Like, where are you going to find a better ally for the Republican Party on Georgia College's campus mm. than Turning Point. Right. So I think that does cover it. Yeah. I think we've got into it. We kind of got a little feisty there. Ooh, a little spice. But we finished it on a good note. And we still love each other. Absolutely. And so, and you know. But no homo, though. No homo. No homo. I'm wearing socks, actually, so I think we're okay. Oh, I'm wearing my Burks. So. <gasps> oh, no. Six Maybe feet. a little homo for me, <laughs> but no homo for you. Six <laughs> um, so, yeah, guys, thank you guys for tuning in. Be thank sure, you. if you haven't, to go and check out the episode with Carly and Lauren. Uh, mm. in Carly first... Fransman is our chapter leader, and then Lauren, like we mentioned, is the president of Turning Point here. Mm-hmm. Both amazing, empowered women. And they covered women in politics like we covered gays in politics. It's a wonderful uh, issue, and I encourage you all to go uh, – listen to it and jc what is our next episode yes our next episode is coming out next thursday and we're going to be discussing and diving deep into the senate elections and and discussing the candidates and the processes for that that'll be fun yes well thank you guys and thank you jc for having me yes thank you so much all right we'll see you later bye bye bye